0: hey welcome back everybody to another episode of bcs community connections and today on the podcast we have none other than courtney allen from courtney allen family law and today we are going to talk about your law firm that you have uh, here in the brian college station area you service areas outside of that as well too uh, so we're going to kind of let you go through this uh, starting point of the podcast and talk about your background so we want to hear where you grew up what brought you here uh, kind of how that whole evolution happened for you being a brian college station resident so you started and grew up where
1: in arlington okay and then I came down here to go to A&M. I had family ties here. So uh, my grandfather was born in the tiny little community of Harvey that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I went to Bryan High, got three degrees from A&M, so longtime Aggies. It was the only place that I applied for college. I didn't apply anywhere else. Um, but then uh, after... College. I uh, went to law school in Virginia Beach. I wanted to go somewhere outside of Texas and just get a different experience for a while. Okay,
0: and that's then, a good choice of location there. Yeah, I mean, at least you stay somewhere <laughs> on like coastline and that kind of stuff. Well, so.
1: and it was being close to uh, Williamsburg <laughs> and yeah. Washington D.C. and oh, I, yeah. I didn't get to see as much of that as I would have liked, but it was a. It was a good experience. I'm
0: always amazed. So my wife and I have spent a little time there on some of our vacations. Like you think of Texas mm-hmm. and you assume everything else across the United States is like Texas and drive time. And it's hard to kind of imagine getting in a car in like two or three hours where we get between cities here. You get right. between states yes. there. Yeah, so, so that's... You know, when I think about that area, that's kind of what I think about. It's like we just crossed the state line. Like, It yeah. was crazy. So,
1: yeah, we drove up to New York, uh, upstate New York one year on our fall break. And yeah, I go through, you know, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and all of that. And yeah. So, yeah, you're yeah. checking
0: off of, you know, when right. the people send down their little social media posts about check all the states you've been in. I'm right. like, I've been to all these because right. I took a drive up to right. one one spot that exactly. covered all four of these states here. So. Right.
1: So um, after law school, I went back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I ended up getting a job with the Attorney General's office, and um, I was doing child support, enforcement collection, um, and started in Dallas and worked in two, three different offices during my time there. I was there for seven years, okay. and uh, moved up into management in those seven years. The last couple of years, I was in management, and... I loved doing what I was doing for the Attorney General's office, but the management part I didn't enjoy so much. And um, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy management. I At one point, I remember looking around and realizing that, you know, I let me back up a little bit and say that I was, that was my safe government job. And I had, you know, got my paycheck on the first of the month and I had my health insurance and all of those benefits.
0: Yeah, you didn't have to worry about the state of Texas folding up. Right. Or okay. You
1: know, or that, you know, I, Didn't think I was ever going to get fired or anything like that. But then I was managing an office of 35 people, and I'm responsible. I'm, you know, the one that if anything happens in that office, it's on me, which that's the job that I took on, and I accepted that. But I also realized that with that, there's political things that go into that. People take personal dislikes for whatever reason, and I didn't feel like I – my boss was looking to get rid of me but if that ever came about it wouldn't be that hard because so much was going on in that office there were mistakes were happening i mean just part of the job
0: well and in that role you can't see what everybody's doing at any given glance you're responsible for the overall outcome Mm -hmm. or the overall outcome of that office but yeah at any given point one person can put you sideways
1: exactly and you know and i may have done everything that i could do to support that person and give them good training and they just go rogue and but it's on me. Yeah. And so that really um, made me realize that there could be a target on my back at any time. Yeah. And um, so I started looking at other options. And my sister was actually already working down here uh, for a pharmacy. And she had a client or a customer who was a an attorney. And we started talking about the possibility of me coming in and partnering up with him. And mm. we didn't end up partnering up. But I did... Um, make the leap uh, that I never thought I would make to uh, go out on my own and to expand into all of family law. So um, rather than just focusing on the tiny little sliver of child support now, I do every aspect of family law. And um, he gave me an opportunity that I really probably wouldn't have taken um, otherwise, except just right timing, and uh, I really feel like it was kind of a God thing, the way everything worked out. And so, um, I did that 13 years ago In on January 2nd, and it's been 13 years. And uh, whenever I made the change, I thought, well, I'll give it a year, and if things don't go well, if it's not quite a, what I think it's going to be, then I can go back to the Attorney General's office, but I just won't go into management. Right. Because I hadn't burned any bridges or anything like that. And then, uh, like I said, it's been 13 years, and now I can't imagine going back. So. Yeah,
0: so, the 07, 08? 08, 08. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... Um, and for you, you walk back into a community that you were at least familiar with because mm-hmm. you'd gone to A and M here. You said you had three degrees.
1: My grandfather had three. Degrees oh, okay. Sorry, I, was, yeah. I, I, I,
0: miscommun- I I misunderstood yeah. you there. Came to A and M, graduated with what? What was your
1: undergrad? Was in history, minor okay. in English.
0: Okay. So. And, and then, so let's talk about let's talk about how this avenue then aligns yeah. for family law. So you decide you're going to go to law school. But before that, something has to trigger here. So what was it that kind of brought that in alignment for you?
1: Well, and so the way I describe my career path is always, um, it's like the option just kind of narrowed down. Mm -hmm. And and it was the next logical step. I didn't know any attorneys uh, growing up. Well, I had one friend whose father was an attorney, but like I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what attorneys really did. I I didn't have any exposure to what that meant. Right. But um, <clears throat> the funny thing is that whenever I I decided I was going to major in history because I, I just loved history and and I'm a history nerd. Um, and I, of course, went home and told my mother and, and, and she was appalled. Um, I can't imagine right. why, right?
0: Like, yeah, let's talk about what you're going to do with that history but degree there.
1: Her yeah. response was, you're either going to be a coach cause she was a teacher and all the coaches at, at high school taught, taught history, yeah. or you're going to be a lawyer. And my response was, well, I'm not going to do either one of those. Mm. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and so of course, uh, so then, but, but through my time at AM and there were, you know, in my history classes, there were tons of, of people who said they were going to go on to law school. And I started looking at it and thinking about it, thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe that would be something that I would enjoy. And um, so I made the decision to go to law school. And when I started law school, I wanted to be a constitutional lawyer. And I was going to, you know, fight for the rights and you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, when I got out, I wanted to be a prosecutor. And I ended up getting on with the AG's office. And it was a good mix of... There was prosecution to it because you're asking for people to go to jail for not paying their child support, right. so it had that aspect of it, but there were other things involved as well, and um, I had an excellent boss who was a great, uh, a, a really great mentor to very young attorneys, and, and so she taught me the ropes, mm. um, and yeah, and so and now that's something that I hope to be able to do is to mentor other people, uh, other attorneys, the young attorneys and and kind of help them out in their practices.
0: So it's interesting that when you jump out of law school and you get your job at the AG's office and now it's it's okay, I've landed that job, right? Like cush hours, I've got, you know, security as people kind of tend mm-hmm. to put it, I've got security of the state of Texas underneath me, benefits, all of these other things. Was there was there a moment in that career of the AG's office that you could kind of feel the pull of doing something on your own as opposed to the comfort as, you know, there's, we were talking about before we went on air there, there's in the corporate world, and I know we're talking state here, but in the corporate world, we talk about this underlying... Uh, sense of confidence, I guess, that kind of goes along with having that right. job. Like it's not going to go anywhere, and and I know that they're not going to fold, and I've got all these resources and all this stuff that's kind of behind you. Like at any given point, if you needed something, it's readily available to the state of Texas. Right. You know, so whether that's whether that's people resource, whether that's money resource, whatever the case may be. And so, do you feel like at some point it? like you know again we we're talking about how circumstances change for mm-hmm. people right and my circumstance when we were talking off air was my daughter was born and that kind of changed my focus on things was there circumstances or things like that that kind of came forward and you kind of went you know am i really did you feel like you weren't getting challenged tell me what that looked like to pull you to be an entrepreneur in this part of it as opposed to just run in the safe spot
1: sure <clears throat> so um when I started, it's called a line attorney. And then I moved up into management the last couple of years. And I think part of it was moving up into management. And it was, again, it wasn't that I didn't like management. It was um, you have the, the uh, forces coming down from this, you know, the top down of these are the goals that you've got to meet and, and these are the things that you've got to do and you're responsible for this. And without a lot of consideration of what parameters you're working with in your particular office yeah
0: you're expected Uh, to hit this metric mm -hmm. you're expected to push whatever it takes to get to those metrics it's very metric driven yes right um and (laughs) and then also i would imagine outside of all that the politics as well right like once you move up there's there's an unveiling Mm -hmm. right it's almost mm-hmm. kind of it's almost kind of like the man behind the curtain. Right. You get to see a little bit more than you did in the role that you were mm-hmm. in. So now you found that that the position is now more metrics driven for you, really not taking you into consideration anymore.
1: Right. right. And and you know I enjoyed going to court and see and I still did go to court as a managing attorney, but there's all the other stuff that's added to it. And so um, it was taking me out of the role that I enjoyed so much. At the same time, in my personal life, um, I had moved at least an hour away from my family um i have a very close tight-knit family and i'm very blessed that i have that and i had grown up in arlington and we kind of all stayed in the dallas fort worth area and then the funny thing is is that over the course of a couple of years everybody kind of migrated down to uh robertson county so the brazos valley area and um so while i'm Going through these extra pressures at work, I'm also dealing with family members moving away or not being as close as they had been in the past. And and that's, that was hard, um, personally being lonely and not having that, that support system. Yeah. And so um, it, I think what I've always described is that I feel like for me personally, God moved me into a more difficult position in order to move me out. Yeah. Because I was... I was happy at the attorney general's office as a line attorney. I loved my job. Um, And I don't think I would have ever left had I not moved up into the next level, but also being who I am, it wasn't, I, I couldn't not move. I couldn't have that be there and not want to move up into that next level.
0: Well, there's this, what would I refer to it as? It's almost, you know, it's not, it's not, For some people, it's the challenge. For other people, it's the, this is the natural progression. I do this, then I do this, then I move to this. And so, and it's also the idea of that confidence, I guess, is being built through there. And you're going, oh, I do this really well, so I should be able to naturally take the next step and do this. Then you get into it and you start realizing all of a sudden you're going, okay, this isn't all about me anymore. Like, you know, at least when, when you're at that starting point, it's what I do that matters to the team over here and that manager that's above me and everything else. Then you, you step into the role and now all of a sudden you're realizing, okay, I can do so much as an individual, but really my team based opportunity here is just that it's based on a group of individuals that then produce the metrics that is now expected of me. Right. And You want to believe that the team that you lead has the same goals, the same work ethic, Mm -hmm. the same everything, uh, integrity, everything else that kind of goes along with that to push towards the metric. And did you find like when you had those folks up underneath you that you started seeing like, oh, I'm like I'm having to corral like certain people and things like that to keep them all pushing towards the common goal, which is what I'm responsible for.
1: Yeah, it was that, it was... Again, it was not having those metrics aligned with what I felt was realistic given the situation. So just as an example for the Attorney General's office, they um, want to establish paternity. So they want to know that a child has a particular father, which is important, and the state has reasons for needing to do that. Sure. And then also in collecting child support. So they wanted you to collect money, and they're getting federal funds as a result of meeting those targets and all of this stuff. And so... Um, I was in Plano, which is a very, very, very wealthy area. We had no problem at all collecting money. We could do that every day, meet that goal, no problem. Uh, Establishing paternity (laughs) didn't happen because all of our people in Plano, most of our people in Plano were married whenever their children were born. And so the paternity was already established. That wasn't something. And so whereas I started my career in South Dallas, it was exactly the opposite. Mm had always had a hard time collecting money, had no problem establishing paternity. Right. And, and it's just that, that particular area. And so the frustration of having these goals that, that um, were, again, determined by some person in an ivory tower in Austin yeah. who didn't know disconnected that what, what we were really dealing with mm-hmm. and therefore wasn't adjusting it to make it more realistic. Give me, oh, excuse oh, me, yeah. give me a goal that I can meet yeah. and I'll meet it.
0: It's interesting because, again, whether it's Big corporate world, whether it's state based or whatever, because a lot of the knock on state based, even city based jobs, in a lot of cases, are well, it's all taxpayer money, and that's all funding this, and there's no, there's no true um, accountability in a lot of cases. That's a vantage point from somebody outside in looking in, and then here you are inside actual the machine itself. You're inside of it, and you're like, wow, like this is not how this goes, you know, and and to that point. When you're in it and you do it every single day and you've come from the culture from bottom up, right? You start looking at some stuff and you're looking at it going, okay, I know what's realistic because I've been there, done that job, you know? So I'm managing people that I've already done what they're doing. And I feel like my line of sight to what they're doing is better, but regardless of what you see and where you've come from, especially, and I think the disconnect happens the further up the mm-hmm. ladder you go, right? And the further up the ladder you go, especially when you start talking about that keyword you, you referenced, you referenced uh, federal funding, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need this money and this money doesn't come to us unless we hit these numbers. And these numbers in my ivory tower up here, I can't make happen. You're going to have to make happen. Right. And so, and then it all falls to a point, just like it, it's a trickle down effect. And during the trickle down, the pressure gets higher and higher and higher until you've reached this level of, like you said, uh, what feels like unobtainable or unrealistic metrics that you're asking for. And then you're doing that every year. So, hey, you know, last year you did this. So, this year we're turning in or the federal government expects us to be this percent higher. Mm-hmm. And now you're right back in the hamster wheel spinning it again going okay. Last year was really tough. How am I going to meet this this year? And you know, in the child support in the child support world, you're what are you doing? Are you over here going, "We need more divorces to make more child support," you know, or we need more people to get better jobs so that they pay more. I mean, there's there's an avenue of in and out, meaning you're going to have some new people that enter into the to the chute, so to say, and people who are exiting the chute, meaning those people who their kids get to 18 and they're now legally not obligated anymore and all that good stuff. So indirectly you think God then is working as pulling each family member away one by one, bringing them to an area yeah, an area you know they're not all coming to brian college station but they're coming into an area that's close to this area mm-hmm. which you already have ties back to right. through college and through your your uh, parents being here and making that even more of a a lonely battle right like you're up here fighting these metrics but then you're now it's like i feel like i'm really by myself right. and so was this the draw again of like is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? Is this where you want to be
1: yeah i I didn't know I, you know like i said i I really took a leap of faith and it was a pure leap, a leap of faith for me I'm single so I didn't have someone else bringing in an income to right. to it's cover all you <laughs> if I make it, I make it if I don't I don't yeah I'm and you know like I said, I do have a very supportive family, so if, I could have gone to them for help if I needed it right. but um, yeah it was it was you know jump and see and Um, it worked out and I'm very blessed that it worked out. Um, and I can't say those first years were pretty lean years. And and (laughs) so, um, and I, I did get help from family in certain ways, but, um, but at the same time, I also, I enjoyed the freedom of being able to determine what cases do I take? Right. You know, do I, I get to decide, am I going to deal with this? Um, I get to decide, am I going to go to this county and deal with this judge, rather than being told by somebody else that, yes, these are the counties that you're going to go to and you have to do that. Yeah. And so uh, the longer I did it, the more I, I kind of got addicted to that, that ability, even in spite of all of the risks. And, you know, there still is risks. I think uh, one of my things that I've learned over the years is that, I was always worried about my safe government job leaving my, and I call it my safe government job and leaving that. But the reality is, um, well, I think from, from that perspective, looking at going into business, I thought it would be riskier. Now I almost look at it as the reverse Mm. because at my job, someone could have fired me. Sure. Now, thankfully that was never on the table, but that could have happened. And so I could have gone from one day to the next, not having a job and not having any income. Now I have risk, but the likelihood of all of my clients firing me at the same time is pretty slim. Right. And so while my income does fluctuate and it goes up and down and, and sometimes I have more cases and sometimes I have fewer cases, but I don't ever have zero. Yeah. And, and thankfully since the first day I've not ever had zero. So, yeah.
0: well, and so in the corporate world, people who leave the corporate world mm-hmm. to go be an entrepreneur to work for themselves. Sometimes that's met with the fantasy of I'm going to work for myself. Kind of, you know, what you were saying earlier about nobody's really controlling my destiny over here. Like, you know, they just willy nilly one day decide to get sideways with me and, and, Now, I'm not their girl or their boy anymore, and so out the door you go, and I'm going to bring somebody else in. And Texas is definitely a a tough state for that to be in because you're in an at-will state, right? So people make those leaps from the corporate world, and they move into an entrepreneurial role, and they get in there with this idea of this is going to be so much better for me. But so much better has to be built up. A lot of entrepreneurs in the beginning find those longer hours and things that's requiring more capital from their own pocket, uh, hours of invested time, uh, they're now doing things that in that corporate world they, they weren't really responsible for. They didn't have to worry about marketing themselves. They didn't have to worry about where my customers going to come from. They didn't have to worry about building not just the business and the brand, but also their image as well, too, in the community that they're serving. And so it's this it's this stepping. Like you were saying earlier in, in the beginning, it was lean years, and then you kind of build that as you go through. But you do come back into an environment where you're now back into your family circle is mm-hmm. closer to you. You have more support there, which mentally has to be yeah. just huge crop up, you know, where as before where you're saying like, man, I'm up here and it's just me now all of a sudden, even though it's not your family in the, in the law firm, it's them just being there as support sounding boards, you know, being able to diffuse, you know, and just kind of, let me take this weekend and reset. Let me have a little family time. Let me refill my tank and let me get back to it. And so you do this year after year in building the law firm. So the law firm comes to be. Is it was it Courtney Allen Family Law from it's the get-go?
1: Had Allen Law Firm, and then Courtney Allen Family. So a couple different names, okay. but and um, yeah.
0: Why so. why put your first name on it?
1: You know, that was actually a decision from uh, the marketer that I. I guess at the beginning of last year, I yeah. d- hired somebody to come on and do some social media marketing yeah. for me. And they wanted to personally put, it's always been Allen law firm in right. uh, the state of Texas for a law firm. You can't have a trade name. It has Correct. to be your name. Right. And so um, it was some variant of my name, but then adding the Courtney, Courtney Allen family law to that, to my social media aspect. Yeah. Um, they just, I guess felt like it would be more personal, which I'm, Well,
0: listen. I mean, if if you say if you put two of these on the desk and you say Allen Law Firm and you say Courtney Allen Law Firm, I'm really not trying to be a sexist here. It's going (laughs) to probably sound that way, but Allen Law Firm to me is probably going to sound like potentially a male owned law firm. And in family law, especially in family law, this really kind of becomes what can, even in some people's Mm decision-making process, what can be their decision as to who they go with. You know, the the female that's looking, whether they're initiating it or whether they're being initiated into it, uh, especially in divorce law or whatever, is probably going to feel more comfortable being around a female lawyer now again i'm generalizing this and i know that there will be some people that may listen to this and go that's not the case <laughs> but then i asked you again kind of before we got we went on air about your percentages like how you know what percent of men versus what percent of women and we were saying about 20 percent on men and you brought up a great point though in sitting there because i'm i'm thinking again at that same point in that statement that i just made i'm thinking okay a man's probably thinking go get me a bulldog lawyer or whatever, you know, and that, that's going to look like, you know, the Texas hammer or whatever that guy is, you know. I mean, it's going to look like somebody who's going to go out there and, and get them the most for their mm-hmm. money. But then you'd commented saying, you know, that 20% of the males that come in, it is the idea that they're coming in to bring a female lawyer into court to present a a less strong I, – I don't know what the word would be. You're going to have to help me probably with this, yeah. but a, a a stronger front –
1: I think they they feel like it I, I've had a lot of men <clears throat> comment and say that they feel like family law is biased against men and mm-hmm. I, I don't personally believe that and I have my reasons for why I don't personally believe that but um, and so I think they feel like that it's going to give them a better position in court to show up with a, fam- a female attorney right? Um, and you know that may be the case I don't know that I again I don't know that I personally believe that I don't see my gender and what I do sure. I tr- just try to do the best job that I can sure. but at the same time I do think that uh, some female attorneys bring certain qualities to the table that can be beneficial right uh, better understanding
0: so, like I, even from the opposite side
1: I think so I think I think there is some of that um, softer more consideration of the emotion mm. family law is extremely emotional yeah. I mean there's huge Volatile. emotions yeah. that go in with that And so, and again, I'm I'm not trying to be biased, but I do think that that female attorneys can be a little bit more understanding. Not all of them. Some of them don't care about the emotions. Sure, yeah. And that's not to say that male attorneys can't, but um, it does tend to be a female-dominated portion of the law Mm -hmm. that uh, you're going to see more female attorneys in family law as a general rule. Yeah. in my experience.
0: Well, so. I mean, listen, so most people's biases are going to be created by their, their environment. So if I've got a bunch of friends who are divorced and they've been through and, and they're going through this deal and after they get through with the deal, they go, man, I got screwed in this deal, man. I lost half of this. I lost the house. I did, you know, and those are what's fed in. Now all of a sudden, maybe I come to the forefront and I need that service those stories and those mm-hmm. friends i mean you think about where's the first place that most people are going to go first place isn't going to be your doorstep right. the first place is really going to be close friends people that they trust mm-hmm. and then they're going to kind of work through like you know they're they're for some people they're the initiator for other people they're the receiver probably i think i might ask this question before we got like how many times is it amicable like both people went this is what we need to do. And it, you know, yeah. cause I'd imagine those are probably easier to deal with than the one that's getting served of going, I'm done with you and right. you, you're getting blindsided by it.
2: So
1: the trick with those though, is cause I'll have people call me up and they'll say, Oh, we, you know, it's all agreed to. We've already talked about everything. Everything's agreed to. And, um, I still, my retainer is still going to be a little higher than like true. Everything is tr- Really agreed to because yeah. I've, I've, through experience learned, what happens a lot of times is that they think everything's agreed to, Mm. but it's not really because they either haven't really talked through everything or the relationship dynamic has been that you've got one really strong person and one person who just kind of goes along. Mm. And so the person who just kind of goes along is just like, okay, sure, whatever. But then once they actually get into it, they start digging their heels in Mm -hmm. because this is important and They need to stand up for themselves, Mm -hmm. but the strong personality has just kind of steamrolled them and they're the the strong personality is the one that calls me and says, oh yeah, everything's agreed. And so, yeah, um, it does still happen though. I would say it is a fairly slim margin, 10% maybe that are really, truly, they, they really have sat and considered everything and talked through everything and they really are on the same page. Um,
0: but these are also the 10% at the tail end. Like if there's kids involved in this, co-parenting becomes a lot easier. Child, Absolutely. you know, who's, who's getting custody, which again, you deal with, mm-hmm. you know, child custody, child support, all of that other stuff. It materializes, but again, going back and referencing that number that you're saying 10%, you know, so that means one out of 10, and then you got the other nine out of 10, which not necessarily all nine of those are going to be explosive cases, right. but what's going to happen is, as you step them through the process.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like you said, there's going to be things they haven't taken into consideration things they didn't realize laws that have changed laws that are affecting them right new laws that are being enacted that could have affected them that they didn't know about right. and now you know maybe it is that where amicably they were talking through this process it's that stronger personality that's saying i'll give you half of everything and let's just call this thing done right and and for some people, that's that's mm-hmm. maybe as amicable as it gets. But then for other people, like okay, half is half, and and but what about the kids? You know, right. and then that adds a whole other dynamic to it. And your kids are two, not uh, mm-hmm. you know twelve, not sixteen, not eighteen, not twenty two, you know, and these all change of what this is going to look like long term. And you got one shot really at that moment when that all happens. You can always go back and. Uh, I'm talking like I'm the expert here. (laughs) We were were talking about how I'm on the opposite side of that as being a kid that, you know, my mom chased for child support and things like that. And, and really had a very unpleasant experience Mm -hmm. of dealing in that realm and dealing in that realm with the state um, because she really, you know, you know as well as anybody else there that that it's not like, hey, we just sit around and we wait for somebody to call us and say that they need our help getting child support. I right. mean, there's a backlog that happens there. And in a lot of cases, a huge backlog that requires tons of time, tons of effort. People are really good at disappearing when they need to disappear and go off the radar and all of that kind of stuff. But if I'm in the moment of, of trying to put all these things together, I may think I know how this whole thing ends up. But then that's where your expertise comes in at right. as have you thought about what this is going to look like in 10 years for mm-hmm. your children? Have you thought about who's going to be paying for college? <clears throat> who's going to do, you know, how is all this stuff going to get funded down the road? And that whether, regardless of what side you're on, you could be on that, you know, the mom side that's looking to retain custody. You could be on the dad side that's looking to retain mm-hmm. custody. You know that there's no one given way. I think there's a lot of perception when it comes to family law, especially in divorce, like you were saying earlier that, you know, a lot of the times it feels like it leans towards the female side. Mm-hmm. Same deal with kids that it's, you know, mm-hmm. I can think, I, I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, oh, the dad has the kids. Then there must be something really screwed up with the mom because right. otherwise the mom would have got the kids. I mean, like, boom, right out of yeah. the gate. No thought process about, listen, this mom just doesn't want to have kids in her life anymore. And is like, mm, I'm out, man. I'm, you know, I'm not invested. And, but it is the assumption again that that mom is a horrible mom or was a horrible person or has done something really horrible, has a history, a background, or whatever that, you know, caused this dad to get full custody.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's definitely not always the case. A lot of people will look, they'll term it as, you know, the better parents, well, I'm a better parent, mm-hmm. or I'm, you know, and it, and that's really, that's not the standard. The standard is what is in the best interest of the child, right. and so um, the judge that I'm most often in front of has actually commented before that she said that uh, the cases where you have two bad parents, those are hard. The cases where you have two good parents, those are actually harder, mm. because, you have two good parents, yeah. and so how do you decide? Well, what the law says is what's in the best interest of the child. Right, And so it could be that you had two excellent parents that are both very involved, and they love this kid very much, and they want what is best for the child. Right. And um, there may be some random detail that pushes the case over to one parent or the other. I had a case a while ago that it came down to mom's work schedule Mm. and her work schedule just wasn't really that conducive for the child. And she was a single mom doing the best for her kid that she could possibly do. But it, it just wasn't what was best for the child to be primarily with mom because of her work schedule. And, and it was that detail that pushed it over to dad getting custody. Mom was a great mom. There was no question that mom was a great mom. Right. Um, But that it was that detail. And so that assumption that, oh, you know, it must be a terrible mom to get custody isn't really the case.
0: Yeah. But, again, the overall perception, I mean, it's it's just I've heard it a lot of times in those particular situations. But then, again, it also kind of works against them, you know, when that mom's now sitting over there and going, listen, man, I'm trying to provide, you know, and and not everybody's going to hire me on a you know, 9am to 3pm. So I can get my kid from school and do all these other things. And I still have things that I have to pay for and childcare then becomes into question. And especially if you're looking at a a professional, somebody who's in a professional world in whatever that corporate world that really doesn't care about the fact that you're going through this divorce, we've got a business that we have to run and operate over here. And so, you know, of all of the negatives that kind of happened within uh within family law because the first thing when you say family law the very first thing everybody draws attention to is divorce mm-hmm. custody child support that kind of was one that really wasn't on the radar when i was looking at it It was like yeah i, I totally get the divorce and the mm-hmm. you know who's going to get custody but then there's also the good side of family law that people tend to lose as well too, which is adoption mm-hmm. and placement, right? And so that's also a service as well that yes. your law firm works through. Yeah. So in in talking about we were saying earlier like what drew you into law, right? And then you kind of sit, you know, you said your mom <laughs> you had to sit down with your mom where you're talking about where you're going to go and what you're going to do and you make this decision, you come back around. You're at the state of Texas, and you're you're the oh man. I'm like, i want to I want <laughs> to cho- choose my words carefully. I almost said dog chaser, and that's not a good <laughs> that's not a good terminology to use when you're looking to chase people down for child support. But you're you're in the world of hero to this person, and mm-hmm. and you're the law to the other person. Can be, yeah. yeah I mean, because you know you can lock people up for not paying child support and doing all that mm-hmm. other stuff. And so and the assumption always is, is is when you're handling and chasing those folks that it's this is your responsibility. You know, I'm just here to ensure that you know this is your responsibility and that it's enforced. You have a choice, we as the state have a choice, right? And our choice will be based on what your choice is. You know, right. want to go to jail, don't pay. You know, want to <laughs> stay out of jail, pay and do what you're supposed yeah. to. And and so you do that for a long period of time, do you feel like there's almost like this robotic kind of desensitizing deal. I mean, one of the things that I find is you said it earlier where you said emotion tends to be not really your best friend when you're dealing in law, right? Like law is very much like keep the emotion out of it. What does the law say? Mm -hmm. Like you said earlier, both of them may be great parents, but what's best for the kid? What does the law say? That's going to be best for the kid in these situations. So really kind of that same deal. I can imagine that there's probably some desensitization that kind of happened. I don't even know if I said that word right. Anyway, you can get desensitized to the idea of what somebody is potentially going through because the law says you have an obligation to this. And so in family law now, family law probably is even more critical in that idea because you don't want emotion to be something that – because emotion in in your part of handling – can really affect outcome Mm -hmm. right and and we were talking before we came on that that in my research i was watching on your facebook page you would put out just a quick little video i think it's like 10 minutes or something like that where you're on there talking about if you're going through this here's some things to take into consideration Mm -hmm. and right out of the gate it's it's i know you're in an emotional situation i know that that it's fiery and explosive and every little drop of whatever can feel like a hundred gallons of gas on the fire, Mm -hmm. but being smart enough to back away from that and not let that control what comes out. Because if you're, if you're in family law, like you said earlier, it can go really well. If both sides kind of understand and you know, they're, they're working towards the common goal of doing what's best for kids that are involved or whatever. But then you have the ones where, man, it's digging time. I, right. I referred to it as digging the trenches. Let's okay. set up the booby traps and it's time to roll. And now social media comes into play on that. Absolutely. You know, text messages, emails, any correspondence <laughs> and communication, um, character witnesses, all of these things now become things that are thrown on the table. And to your point in that video, you were talking about like, you just need to kind of diffuse those situations. You need to understand what's at risk, what's important, and kind of putting yourself in that role. But it's hard because mm-hmm. the stuff has led, you know, twisting and turning and breaking and all these other things have led to this moment for right. that couple. And people wanting wanting to point blame or wanting to get blame as a part of all of that. Like this is your fault. We're here because right. of you. Uh, which I imagine probably gets said a lot in, in, uh, <laughs> when, you're, when you've got these guys separated out and you're trying to work through this. And so emotionally for you, how does that – I mean, I, I said you take the emotion out of it. But there is this – There is. I don't care what kind of person you are. You can be totally detached from that. But knowing that there's an investment from you in the mm-hmm. client that you have, you don't yeah. just take in a client and go, what's your bank account look like? Right. You know?
1: Right. I mean. And that is, that's, uh, there's a lot of burnout in family law because of that. Right. Um, that, you know, I, someone comes to me and they dump all their problems on my desk. And now I'm the one that's responsible for all those problems, yeah. even though I didn't create them. Yeah. Um, but, and that that gives the client relief because they're like, oh, great! Now you're responsible for all this, and that's my job, and I accept it. Um, some cases I do get personally involved in, and mm. I care very much about the outcome. Some less so, and that doesn't—that's not a reflection on that particular client or anything. Some are just more straightforward; they're just not as there's not as much emotion at stake. Um, but that's definitely the hardest part of what I do. Right. is you know. St- being involved in the day to day, seeing and knowing the the long term impact of what these decisions can have, and while I may represent mom or dad, I care very much about what happens to the kids. Sure, uh, that is uh, from you know my personal philosophy. The way I practice family law is, I'm I am obligated to represent my client, but mm. I'm also looking at the overall picture and how is this going to affect the children, and is the, are there things that we can do. To minimize the effect on the children or to, you know, help people understand how, what they're doing is affecting the children, right. things like that. Um So anyway,
0: well, the emotional baggage that's coming along with that Mm -hmm. and not realizing like, Hey, I I realize you got both hands with your emotional suitcases in them. I got another four over here that you hadn't even thought about picking up yet. And so uh, being able to, again, refocus your client and getting them to understand like, is this really worth it? You know, this, this may get you this, But is it going to be worth it at this expense? And so, again, having a good family lawyer that's sitting there looking at that in your client's best interest, Mm -hmm. but also being able to, like, look, in this 10-step process, we're in step four. You know, right. and there are still six more that are coming. And here's some things that you don't see right now that I've done a hundred of these, I've done a thousand of mm-hmm. these. So I know what this is going to look like as we move further down. And that's really you kind of taking your client by the hand and walking them through that process. Right. Here's how this is going to look. Mm-hmm. And you're not always going to have a straight and narrow path in that. There's going to be some things where you're going to reach crossroads and decisions that have to be made that can change that trajectory. Right. Or can change that that outcome. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where the lawyers really needed. And, and even with the guys that are over there that are, are amicable and they're trying to figure it all out on them, their own and you know we've already decided this mm-hmm. is how it's going to go, you usually reach some crossroads somewhere that they right. haven't thought of. Yeah. And so that's where your expertise then kind of comes into play to say, listen, uh, it's great that you guys can do this and want to co-parent and do all these other things. What about this?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've had, I've had people come to me all the time that say, oh, we've already agreed and da, 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 da. And, you know, they'll give me their agreement. And then I, I start to see issues and say, okay, well, well, we got to deal with this or what about this? Or have you thought about handling your summers this way or things like that? And that's, you know, where I've done a thousand divorces, you've done one. Right. (laughs) And uh, another part of that too, is because, There are people, there's forms online and people go, oh, I'm going to go do my own DIY divorce and handle that paperwork myself. And if you want to try more power to you, but uh, part of the way I see my job is as an interpreter in a way, because there's legal lingo in those forms that you don't understand because you don't have the training. Um, There's words that we use all the time and we get very comfortable. And sometimes uh, one of the things I try to be conscious of is knowing that my clients don't automatically understand and so um i you reference my facebook videos i've done several of those over the last few years and um, i've talked i think a couple of times about whenever you're finding finding an attorney it's important to find someone that takes the time to explain things to you that doesn't just roll out oh yeah we're going to go for joint managing conservatorship and you're going (laughs) to you know standard visitation and you know they understand say what that is yeah they, they understand
0: the legalese but they've got to interpret that down right. to the, and, and again, I'm going to choose a word here. It's going to sound terrible, but you got to dummy that down so that I, I understand what it is. I, I don't practice a lot. Right. I don't use the terminology. And so when you get in the middle of all of that, and a lot of the times there's some lawyer speak that happens over that client's head that then is kind of in one ear and out right. the other has to go, let me tell you what this means. I mean, you're almost like the Webster dictionary mm-hmm. to define these things. You're gonna see these things in documents that are coming to us. You're gonna hear this in court or the judge is going to say this and I got to turn and, and look at mm-hmm. you and, and interpret what the judge just said because we're not here to we're not here to go from the bench to the client. We're here to go from the bench right. to the lawyer to the interpretation mm-hmm. to the client and then back up um so it's this constant it, you know it's it, people tend to think that you know it's just going to be them and the mm-hmm. the judge right like this is this is that moment but that person representing that lawyer is the person who still has their best interests in mind right but also you have a line of sight into the other side mm-hmm. you know because you're working both sides of these deals as we go so you've got a line of sight in the other side going oh this is where this is going, right. right? Where your client would have no idea yeah. what's coming down the path on this other side. And while you're you're required by law that you have to share these things between lawyers and things that have to be relevant, stuff that gets found that has to be shared on both sides of that, I'm sure there are times that you're sitting there with that client and after you're at the tail end of something, you're going, okay, I'm going to need a little moment with my client over here <laughs> so that you can kind of reconfigure right. what that maybe looked like going in that day or at that time. And now all of a sudden we reach this other deal. And let me tell you, mm-hmm. this is, this is trying to go sideways on us real quick. So we need to go to plan B that we talked about before. we Well, and here.
1: that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I try to emphasize to people. It is so important to be honest with your attorney and tell them what is going on. Right. Don't hide things. If I represent you, you need to tell me, you know, for example, if you are smoking marijuana on the regular, I need to know right. because the other side knows, and they are going to bring it up. Yeah. And if I'm not prepared to handle that, you don't get any benefit by not being honest with me.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Because all all that happens is that I'm caught flat footed because you didn't tell me that this was going to be an issue. Yeah. And then we do have to have that conversation have you, of
0: Have you just found yourself like turning and going? <laughs> yeah, how you, how it's, what,
1: what's the worst is I've had I this is thankfully been a long time ago but um I had a case where the party insisted that the other party was doing drugs and we have to get a drug test. And so I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll ask for a drug test if you think that that's what they're doing. Well, lo and behold, it was my client that tested positive. So, mm. you know, so now anytime I, I always tell them, look, or you, you got to be clean too. Cause if we're going to go in asking for them to take a test, they're going to ask for you to take a test and right. you better both be clean. Yeah. So,
0: well, and that, that client attorney privilege, you know, yes. I think some people, There are probably some people that when they sit in the chair with you and they're like, man, if I divulge this, this is going to come out, you know, there's that moment of like, listen, my preparation is really based on the full story. Yes not you gave me chapter one two and skip three and we went to four and three Mm -hmm. was really ugly and you decided to leave that out and the worst place to find out about that is when you're in front of a judge at that point right and so now they've left you like your your term of reference was flat footed Mm -hmm. you know you really have to figure out how to pivot right there in that moment Mm -hmm. like okay it's damage control time Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you found yourself in that seat way more often than you care to yeah So um, I come in and I'm utilizing you. And one of the things that I found about looking at your Facebook page, there are things, and and we talked about even, even here, like people see on the outside is Courtney Allen law firm uh, or family law. I'm saying that wrong. Um, But choice where people make a decision to select a lawyer really kind of comes in at multiple things. Number one, reference. Like, Mm -hmm. I've had a friend that's gone through and they referred me to you. I would imagine referrals are probably pretty high in the business, especially in family law business. Mm -hmm. Second is I don't have that reference. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes, okay, what kind of divorce do I want to go through here? And so now I'm doing my research. And, you know, research is, in some people's cases, only as good as Google. You know, and they put this information in. But then for you as well, and I'm not going to refer to this as advertising and marketing, but it is the idea of aligning yourself with those clients that you want to Mm -hmm. serve because they fit the niche of what it is that you're looking to build your law firm as, right? And earlier we were talking about when you are on your own, you're not partnered up with another law or a lawyer in a in a group law law firm or that corporate world or whatever now all of a sudden you have the choice as that law firm and that mm-hmm. entrepreneur in that law firm to say, "I'm probably not your lawyer right like you get those folks mm-hmm. that come in and you're just like you know referring to it as tell me your story and that story really then is, you know, a lot of times the story is like, yeah, here you go, Courtney. Here's a little (laughs) bit of the story here. Right. Right. Whereas you're really trying to get that as open as possible. So you can see like, I want my husband to burn in hell. You know (laughs) I mean? Like they're, they're at it. Right. And you're like, man, this, yeah. Like I'm, I'm all about trying to help people, but also understanding when you need to turn someone mm-hmm. away i mean in the walmart world i used to tell folks you can imagine i mean we'd we'd see fifteen thousand people a day come in right for 20 years of running through this this operation and i told people like you know when i get called up the service desk, i wouldn't get called up the service desk for somebody to tell me what a great job we were doing <laughs> i was going up there because somebody was mad and a lot of the times you go up there and you want to diffuse the situation you really kind of want to feel out what happened I refer to it as black, white, and gray. You mm-hmm. know, black, the customer's right. White we're, white, we're right. And gray always goes to the customer. And gray is really like, there's some things that went wrong here that we could have possibly created mm-hmm. to create a perception, right? And so then you, you dive in on that. But then, it's let's say it's the old guy that every week is in there. And every Mm -hmm. week is just, you know, Mm -hmm. y'all did this wrong. Y'all didn't give me this. Y'all came in here and I'm missing this out of my bag. And I'm missing this out of my bag the next week and everything. And I used to say that I would promote them to customer somewhere else. Like I wanted to go be Target's customer or Kroger's customer or whatever. Because in that world, uh, there are certain people and there are certain people frequenting your business Mm -hmm. That aren't going to be good for your business, right? Like it doesn't matter what you do. You can bend over backwards and, and it's still not going to Mm -hmm. matter. It's not going to be enough. So you got to be front side on that because at the moment that you take them in now, all of a sudden you don't want to invest all of that time and resource and everything else to then turn around somewhere down that shoot and go, yeah, we probably are not going to be on the same page here or you want this. I'm trying to tell you legally what we can get. And you just want me to figure out how to get over to here. And I'm trying to tell you, I don't have that capacity to do that. But being a smart enough lawyer to be able to do that as early on as possible. Yeah. So that the resources aren't just burning away over here. Yeah. And so, what do you look for when people come in what are some of those what are some of those red sirens Mm -hmm. you know like i say it's the person who complains all the time in a walmart like and i get them week after week or even in some cases day after day and i know that they need to go somewhere else what are some of those what are some of those little sirens and you know buzzwords and things that you see when people walk in that you know that this probably needs to be somebody else's client,
1: right so um I do an initial retain, uh, sorry, initial consultation. And when, so we're having that conversation It's usually about an hour and we kind of talk through what's going on with their case. And for me, what I'm looking for is, do they listen to what I have to say? Mm. You know, are they willing to hear what I'm telling them and take that on and maybe adjust where they want to go with the case? Now, here's the thing is, you know, that's a very, very initial conversation and sure. things may change as we get further into it. But... um, are they, are they willing to take that on board and and not just like they're hiring me to go be the hammer on the other party? Right. Uh, because I, I'm a free will individual and I get to decide how I'm going to handle things. And part of that is I do have 20 years of experience and knowledge behind me that you don't have. And right. so if I'm telling you that your case is going to be more effective if presented a certain way. Or it may just flat out be the law does not allow XYZ to happen, and if you're willing to stop and think about that and go, okay, well, let's, you know, I'm willing to explore other ways to get what you want. But are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Right. Um, those are the ones where I'm, if they're not hearing what I'm saying or they're not willing to take into account the fact that I, you're coming to me because I have expertise, yeah.
2: um,
1: but then you're not willing to listen to it, well, then that's, you know, that's not going to be the best fit. Um, that's really what it mostly boils down to, to be honest with you. If someone's willing to consider and listen, I, I have no problem working with pretty much anybody. Um, But, yeah, if they if they just won't listen to what I have to say, then we're going to have a problem, you know, whether that pops up at the initial consultation or that pops up, you know, when we're right about to go into trial. At some point, it's going to create a problem.
0: Yeah, well, and those people also are going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And then – then, A little further down the road, okay, well, you know, yeah, you've heard what I've said. Again, you've heard, you've listened, you know, and those two kind of separating themselves from each other. And there's not a good litmus test. It's not like you're sitting over here going, fill out this paperwork, (laughs) and I'm going to see what the score comes back. And I'm going to see if you rank in the range of where I want to take you on as a client. But it is your it's your law firm. Mm -hmm. It's your business. It's your name, right? It's not at the end of all of that. It's not their name. That's on the outside of it. Now they're going to tell you it's their dollars, but you know, what's that worth to you? I mean, a, a a single, a single bad case that earns you negative publicity, especially on like a high profile case or something Mm -hmm. like that, isn't worth the effort to you. You know, it could do more damage to you in the long run, then going listen, this is this is not where I want to step right. off into,
1: well, and I have to consider my reputation with the attorneys that I work with, the judges that I work with, and so I'm not i I'm my plan is to stay here for forever, yeah. and so I'm not going to represent myself in a way that is going to negatively affect my ability. To appear in front of a particular judge or, or you know, something like that several years down the road for one case that 's right. not worth it to no. me, yeah so um, I hope that I have a good reputation, I believe I have a good reputation in the commu- in the legal community, and I want to keep that yeah. and so that means that I represent my clients to the best of my ability, but if they 're wanting me to do something that I personally don 't believe in or can 't do then that we're not good for each other. You need to go find somebody else.
0: Yeah. There's a level of in- integrity that is anchored in at the base of all of this. Right. Mm-hmm. And that integrity for you is look, this is, this is it. Once we reach this platform and I'm done, like I, we, I'm not going to start breaking loose pieces of this and, and destroying the foundation of what I built my business and my name on at the expense of, like you said, this one case or whatever. Plus in that same world, Just like there's reputations in a lot of other businesses, those reputations, like you said, are known amongst judges. Mm -hmm. They're known amongst peers. They're known amongst amongst other firms. You know, so you kind of, in building that leverage up, that leverage of integrity becomes important as when you're facing maybe other firms that don't have that same type of integrity and you can kind of get a glimpse of that i mean i'm i was talking about kind of the red flags or whatever and let's say you're the the, you know hey uh courtney you're the second lawyer i came from and i came from law firm over here courtney knows law firm Mm -hmm. over there and knows who they are and how they may not really care as much about their integrity and yeah you're kind of shopping it a little bit and i can respect that and understand that for those consultations you know well you know, law firm over here told me that they could get me this. What can you get me? You know, yeah. and like, listen, you know, again, that's, that's a, you know, here's this little mm-hmm. red flag. I'm probably not your, I'm probably right. not your business. Here's probably somebody else that can yeah. help you better than I'm going to be able to assist you. And again, being able to be PC and say that in a way that's really nice. Um, you know, I got a reference back to the service desk deal where, y- 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 every inch of your being wants to say listen i really don't care just go somewhere else right every inch <laughs> of your being is telling you that um but you have to be able to say that in a way that if it were repeated yeah. to your your higher ups or whatever that it doesn't come off that way mm-hmm. like listen you know obviously if if you've shopped with uh, this is, this is an actual statement that has come out of my mouth Obviously, if you continue to shop with us and we just can't seem to to come to the level of service that you really need from us, you know, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, we just can't obviously achieve that right. for you. And, and maybe there's another business out there that can do that. But definitely, if I'm spending my money, I want that level of service. So I can completely understand how you'd feel that way. And if you choose to go somewhere else, well, while we hate to lose you as a customer, we understand that you have a choice and we're going to respect that choice. Yeah. That's a real long amount about way Go go somewhere else and spend <laughs> your money somewhere else right. because you're a pain in my butt. You know, I mean, so and lawyers get really good at finding good ways to to say things that sound appropriate. You know, even though, again, yeah. like the behind the closed door when I go home to my wife, she got to hear all those stories without the PC right, filter attached right. to it. And so but that PC filter also is important as well. To ensure that that person also, even though you may not take them up as a client, may still have an opinion when they leave your law firm that they may share with other people. And you don't want that to just be like, well, I felt like Courtney shunned me off and didn't really give a crap about what I had to say. It's, It's like, you know it's kind of that same deal of leaving that window open for interpretation, you know, that I want to be as clear as I can without being as harsh as I probably sometimes feel like I want to be.
1: I definitely, I want everyone to have a good experience in dealing with my firm, no matter what that, even if you're on the other side of a case, I, I have many cases where I represent one party and the other party doesn't have an attorney. And so I'm always willing to deal with them professionally. Mm. I don't, um, I want I respect the law. I respect the legal profession. It means a lot to me. Sure. And so I want people to have a good experience no matter what part of that they're dealing with. And so even if it's someone who comes into my office and ultimately we're not a good fit for attorney-client relationship, um, I, I want them to go on and find an attorney that is going to be a good fit for them so they're going to have a good experience. Right. Just. Again, maybe that's the Pollyanna in me, but I want I want people to be satisfied, and and I think uh, as a as a young attorney and you're hungry and you want to take it, and so you're looking at that that dollar sign and yes. you need that that money to come in. It's easier to kind of take that case and ignore the that feeling of mm, we may not really be the best fit. Fortunately, I'm in a position now where I can be a little bit more selective and right. recognize that. You know, you may have a a very good case, and you may ultimately go on to win your case, but for whatever reason, I feel like you would be better suited by, you know, this other attorney or this firm that has more resources than I have. I, you know, I'm a one man shop. I have two assistants who are excellent and I'm very happy to have them on my team. But ultimately if someone wants an attorney who's going to hold their hand for hours every day, I don't have the ability to do that because I've got 50 or 60 other cases also going that also need my attention. Um, and so, you know, there've been times whenever I've had clients that wanted that level of service. And while I would love to be able to give that to them, I don't have the resources to do that. So I'm going to send you off to someone that does have the ability to give you that level of service.
0: Yeah, And so, and you made a good referencing point of the startup piece of that. Like when you're starting it up and you're going out dragging it, killing it and bringing it all home, you know, yeah, it's hey man showed up there's one at the door oh let's go this is okay this is it this is our first one you know i mean you're making you're almost jumping to that conclusion without looking at it as i still need to be selective i Mm -hmm. still need to be smart in this decision and then as you layer on the reputation and the experience and you're dealing more in there then again you can kind of be more picky right i don't uh, i don't know that's the best word to use on the lawyer side of it but I mean to an extent you're doing an evaluation just like they're doing an evaluation right when they come in they want to know okay is this somebody that like you said do I click with this person do they get me do they understand me you know that's from the client side mm-hmm. of it and on your side of it you're going okay want to make sure that what we're discussing like you said is being heard is being acknowledged back mm-hmm. you know that they get where I'm coming from and what kind of lawyer I am because right. listen i mean you can pull the phone book out and you can find all different kinds of lawyers from good right. bad and ugly right i mean they all exist and they all exist for a purpose mm-hmm. i mean you know there's there's no such thing as this particular, you know, family law has the ability to wash away the ugly lawyers. I mean, the ugly lawyers exist out there for a purpose, and there are mm-hmm. clients that want an ugly lawyer to handle their business, and they don't care what the end result of that is. They're looking to, you know, take a blowtorch to the whole thing, burn it all to the ground mm-hmm. and and get what's theirs, right? right. So we talked enough about divorce and all that other good stuff. So now let's talk about the positive sides of stuff. <laughs> let's move over to the adoption side. So is this the part where you feel like, do you feel like your tank gets refueled in this environment, in the adoption environment?
1: It does. It does. And I will say that there are um, certain cases, even with custody and, and divorce that I, I feel very personally satisfied by. Um, adoption is special to me in that I, assisted my brother with adopting mm. two of his kids, and I'm assisting another bro- brother with adopting his nephew. Um, and so, you know, it's it's adoption has really come to play a big role in my family, and um, it's it's the happy part of family law, I always say. Yeah. And so it's where we get to see the the celebration. I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that while adoption is a very positive thing and it's a very happy thing, there is a... There's a downside to adoption right. because uh, with adoption means that there's been a loss somewhere in the past of the original family right. for that child, mm-hmm. and whether that is a step parent adoption where you know mom has, you know dad's not involved and so mom's remarried to somebody else and that person is taking the dad role and so we're now just kind of making it legal what they've already been doing right or you have an infant adoption where you have a couple who hasn't been able to have their own children, or or maybe they have, but they still want to add to their family through adoption. Um, And so, but any, no matter what, there is a loss there. And so um, there's a, a sobering part of that as well. But the celebration and the completion of, of that form, that adoption, uh, that hearing where we get to go and, um, pre COVID times, it was, it was a lot of fun cause you'd have, you know, tons of family in the courtroom and everybody happy and celebrating. We'd take pictures. And so that it's, it's always a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: You know, at the tail end of this, there is the happy ending to the right. story and that story had a line to get to that point. Yeah. That's kind of the other thing that I, I wanted to discuss with you is, is people who go in seeking adoption need to also understand that's not like you're not running down to the pound and adopting a puppy here. man. I mean, this is a long process and the process is lengthy also relative to where that child is in that Mm -hmm. pipeline for adoption. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, for some people it's going overseas and adopting, right. You know, for other people, it's right here in our own backyard. Mm -hmm. We have needs for adoptions. And so, but it, it's also where they're at in that mix, you know, Mm -hmm. where they're at, you know, how long have they been in the system? what are the you know what are the stipulations as to why they're in the system right. you know and i'm i'm imagining that same deal of of do you look at this and and it is the same idea of are you facilitating like here's you know i'm working you towards where a child in need can match up to a family in want or is it do you also come in at that where it's we already have our eye here. We've already been dealing with this particular organization or this particular mm-hmm. group that's helping us on this backside. But we've got to also move that through the legal process to make that happen. So
1: it's pretty much the second. Um, I I'm not allowed to facilitate adoptions. That that uh, by law I can't provide a child or be involved in that right. process. Um, and so really I, I get the, all the fun stuff yeah. really when it comes to me doing an adoption, I'm getting the very end and the fun, They're bringing exciting everything time to you. So yeah, it is, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's everything, all the hard work has been done and, and we just get to go to court and get the judge to sign off on it and make it, make it good.
0: I have to imagine that's got to be, that has to be probably pretty rewarding just from the standpoint mm-hmm. that in some of those adoption cases, they've been disappointed multiple times mm-hmm. through the adoption process or something has happened. Uh, right. Maybe a birth parent has stepped back in to reclaim rights or whatever. And so by the time they get to you, that's all been put in alignment. You know, basically all we need from you is we need all the legal pieces put in that then we can present it to the judge to get them to sign off on it. And so, like I was telling you before, we've, we've known a couple of people who have adopted and got to see that process. And even here in this COVID area where there's not, you know, there's not the courtroom, Mm -hmm. um, uh, festivities i right. guess that that maybe you're used to in that particular situation that they still allow some people in there it's still a process of of documenting it and that's really kind of what a lot of those families want is mm-hmm. the documentation from start to finish and finish really yeah. is right yeah. there in front of that judge and so i think of the same thing I, you know one of the pictures i saw from from one of our friends the judges is there with the family and the yeah. kid and everything else and There's almost, you know, it's kind of that same deal. Like there's a a level for that judge that I'm sure like, here's something good that we've done today. Right. Whereas in a lot of cases on the backside of what you deal with, it may not feel all that great, but this one's one of those ones that you can turn it around and it's almost always, I would imagine a feel good story for you. So, um, so again, another service that you offer up there as well too, positives and negatives. So, This is probably the one part where I want to draw you more to the forefront to the listeners who, be it, you know, listen, lawyers say the word lawyer and people (laughs) tend to have opinions based on that from the good, bad to the Mm -hmm. ugly. Right. And some of that's based on their experience. Some of it's just based on how they are portrayed in our society. Right. Uh, and some of that's really unfortunate. I mean, there's a lot of the times I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are lawyers or are in the law fi- the law field, uh, and they may work for a lawyer or something along those lines. And so sometimes just the term for a lot of people is an ugly term. But for you, the positives of getting into this, I mean, you've invested a lot of time up to this point. You're mm-hmm. now 20-plus years in right. of investing into a law field somewhere, whether that was you know child support all the way down here to family law to adoption. So give me the positives and the negatives on that. I mean the the you always want to stay impartial, right? That's always kind of your goal is to think with your mind through the law that gets put in front of you. Mm-hmm. And to not let the emotion be the thing that guides your decision making, kind of like what you were saying in your video, like, you know, make smart decisions. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't just do this because it feels good or just because this is the one thing that I know that is really going to poke the bear and really make it worse. So for you in the tail end of all of this and 20 years in now that you look at it, the positives and the negatives of what it is that you do and how you represent people,
1: so uh, the negatives is probably the stress. Um, there's high stakes to what I do. And mm-hmm. thankfully I don't, I don't practice criminal law where somebody's life is at stake, yeah. but close to it, sure. you know, family issues are are very, very, you know, close to our hearts and have a huge effect on people's lives. And I recognize that what I do can have a big, big effect on someone's life uh, for many years. Yeah, and long so, lasting. so there's a lot of stress there, a lot of pressure, um, and there are cases that I take home at night and I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I, I try by being selective, I try to do that less. But the reality is, is that even the clients that I've been very selective with still have high stakes cases that, uh, end up personally meaning a lot to me. And so I wake up at three o'clock in the morning worrying about how we're going to handle that or how we're going to get past that. Um, but there are definitely are benefits because otherwise, if it was all negative, I wouldn't do what I do. Right. Um, I enjoy uh, a lot being able to walk clients through their their difficult times. Um, seeing uh, one of my some of my favorite clients are uh, helping clients walk through a divorce. And while I certainly don't wish a divorce on anybody, and I, I hope that nobody ever has to go through that, I personally find it very re- rewarding to have someone come into my office who is in a very tough spot and a very broken spot and then walk them through and have them come out on the other side excited about a new life and starting over and uh, excited about the possibilities that they have now that they didn't have before. And that to me is is probably the most rewarding part of what I do, um, seeing how they can change, how their outlook can change and go from being very broken to excited for the future. Because I personally believe that life gets better. It can get better. um, And so I want to see that happen for my clients.
0: Well, and some of your clients have never experienced life on their own. Right. I mean, in a lot of cases, maybe they got married early. You know, all they know is being with this person, right? And so it's a new identity, Mm -hmm. you know, not just a new life. I mean, yeah, it's going to look a lot different, obviously, after that, but it's a new identity. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like a rebirth in some cases for a lot of folks. The negatives outside of the stress, do you feel like in the role of being a servant to these folks that you walk them and step them through the process and you try to do that in a way that, that has the least amount of damage, right? Where you can, you can hopefully, on the other side of this, make it a feel-good story at the mm-hmm. ending of all of that. The personal toll on you outside of stress, do you feel like there's this personal toll where you look at things maybe jaded?
2: <laughs> so, well,
1: so the interesting part of that is I'm personally single yeah. and um, I would very much, I would love to be married. And, um, but uh, whenever I go on a, a date or something and, and I happen to mention that I'm a divorce lawyer, I usually kind of get a step back from the person. Like, like I'm going to then take all these tricks that I know to get everything <laughs> so, out of them. And I'm like, that's not me. That's, I've got this
0: prenuptial so, agreement. <laughs> right? right I know. I'm
1: like, no, it's, that's my job. I, that's not how I handle my personal life. Right. Um, it, Thankfully, I don't think it's affected me that way. I I am very blessed in that I don't have a pers- a lot of personal drama in my life.
0: Right.
1: I, I do have a lot of work drama, but I'm able to mostly keep it at work. Um, so that and
0: you, you didn't that, come from that background.
1: No, I'm it, very lucky. My parents have been married for fifty three years, I think. Right. So, um, and you so know,
0: even your example here. Even though you work an opposite uh, mm-hmm. an opposite side of that, in a lot of cases, the example is still over here that this can still.
1: I, I'm very much a believer in love, and that it can work out, even mm-hmm. though you know I see every day the the times where it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of personal hope about well,
0: that. Well, and I just it when you when you step into a role of being a servant leader mm-hmm. in somebody's life that is at a crossroads they probably never imagined they would be at, especially in the beginning. And they saw this just dissolving, you know, I mean, I don't even know the word to work through it, but I mean it's mm-hmm. a it's a dissolution that's happened through the process of their marriage over right. however many years that they've been married. And you're now trying to, you're trying to get them to see like, listen, you know, I know you're in the storm right now. And I promise there's an end to all of this. Mm-hmm. And I promise there's sun on the other side of all of this. And you walk them through that process. And then you're going to repeat that over and over and over. There's a part of yourself that you give away to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a part of yourself that, that you know, just kind of plucks away. And, and you want to utilize your role, your your career really not just not just your your company that you've established and grown but your career that you have put in to get the best result for your client but also leave something on the table for you at the tail end of it that you know i I just i find it i find it fascinating that if you're in a certain field that listen i'll I'll back this up i'll make it a lot more simple i used to say that retail run christmas for me i mean it you know it just did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you it is hard to be in retail. Go through what you go through every holiday season, knowing that I'm going to spend about four hours on Thanksgiving with my family. Yeah that you know christmas morning the one day of the year that we're actually closed in a walmart that i'm going to be able to to spend valuable time which probably isn't going to happen because i'm going to be thinking about what i got to do the next day and you do this over and over and over for 20 years and for 20 of those years or for yeah almost 20 of those years not having a child made it even worse because i didn't have this thing to anchor me over here right, right? this thing to make it all about here and so you lose every year, the longer you do it, you lose more empathy to it, right? It just And you've got, I've got a partner with me that's just, good, just how it is, man. It's a retail life. You know. retail wife life over here is knowing that I'm probably going to end up putting up the tree, and I'm going to be the one that has to push to get the decorations done and all of this other stuff. But there's this constant pluck away at that that happens. Now, in stepping back from that, now having a child and everything else, there is pieces that come back to it. And, and vicariously, I can live those now through this little entity over here that I'm trying to make a good human, but you know that I really probably needed through that 20 years. And that probably still wouldn't have been enough to make it okay. I mean, it, it was in that world, you look at it and go, I can't wait until Christmas is over. The complete opposite reason for what right. you sh- the, for how you should be looking at it. and so, But it is. It didn't start that way. But every year, year after year after yeah. year of doing it, it's just a little bit more that kind of goes away. You understand that you're doing it for the betterment of the company, the corporate right. world or whatever. Now, it looks a lot different now, and it looks a lot different when it's on the entrepreneur side of it because mm-hmm. you can pick and choose. Right. right. You know, now you know, we close down for the holidays. I spend time with my family. Christmas means more to me than it ever has at any given time in my life. So there is this this fill back in that now happens, but there's so much that came out over those years that it's tough to fill that back mm-hmm. in. And so I'd imagine probably the same thing. There were probably things that were eaten and taken away from you at the state level that really just was more became more of a grind. You work back into the entrepreneur side and you're filled back in with this Mm -hmm. but each case each each case that you take on there's stuff that you have to give away from yourself in order to get that person through the storm and get them to the other Mm -hmm. side and so that's kind of earlier when i was saying like things like adoption are almost like a refill it's like pouring back into the bucket that i'm dipping out of to help my clients Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one thing about lawyers that that people don't get to see and hear. You know, it's easy to put a tag on you and go, "Oh, right. you're a lawyer." Yeah. You know, And like you said, <laughs> like I go out on a date and I'm a divorce lawyer. That's even worse. You right. know, I mean, so uh, but much in the same deal. If I if I mean, think about the stigma that is attached to a criminal defense lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and you're the criminal defense lawyer that is the one that they can't find anybody to represent themselves and you're responsible for representing because you're appointed, you know, and now all of a sudden you go telling friends that, Oh yeah, you know, that guy that's in the the news that did this to that kid or to the wife or to the girlfriend, I'm, I'm responsible for defending them. And so again, and it's, You know, I I know people who've done that and Mm -hmm. then jumped out of that and went somewhere else. Like this is not where I wanted to be. But there are some people that live in that world every single day, and there's pieces that get pulled away in that. Mm -hmm. But when you see things happen for a positive, for a good, at the end of that, some of that gets refilled back into you. But I think it's I think it's unfortunate that uh, people don't get to see that. Now, maybe your closest friends that talk to you and everything else that you have a good relationship with, your family. Mm -hmm they all get to see it and experience it. They've probably seen you at your lowest lows and at your highest highs. Yeah. Uh, But also knowing that lawyers are people too and that there's, it's not just, yeah, the law is who I am. I am the law, you Mm. know? I mean, it's the idea that I'm a person. Uh, I was a human long before I was anything else. And so,
1: well, and the law is complex, very yeah. complex. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years, and there's still I feel like there's still a lot I don't know about family law. Yeah. Um, the book that I work out of is that thick, and um, it, so uh, things are changing. Every two years, our legislature goes into session and makes changes. We just had a huge change come down from the Supreme Court on January 1st on discovery rules, and I'm still trying to learn all that and get it all straight and figure out how that's going to affect us. And so... Um, Know that even as attorneys, we're humans. Mm -hmm. We make mistakes. Now I try very hard to do what I can to rectify if, if, you know, we've dropped a ball in our office. Um, we try to do everything we can to stay on top of it and get that, get that fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so hopefully those balls get dropped less and less as we get more experience with stuff. But the reality is that things happen. Um, I had a case recently where we were, this wasn't even somebody's fault. We were all ready to go to trial, and we showed up, and the judge was sick that day, and we couldn't do the trial, and it was disappointing for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no one at fault for that. It just is, you know. It's just a bad thing that happened, and my clients were really, really disappointed because they were ready for their case to be over, right? And I understand that, and so. Um, you know i would encourage people to have have a little bit of grace and understand that we are also human beings working in this system right and um i don't do a lot of cps anymore but a lot of people mm. uh, you know you hear the stories the horror stories about sure. cps and yeah. uh, i've done cps in the past cps work in the past and um it's a situation where they can be damned if they do and damned if they don't and yeah. um they're human beings working in a system. We're not robots that always spit out the the exact correct answer. Sure. Um, the law a deal, and working in the law is, it's a judgment call, mm. and and we are evaluating all kinds of different factors to look at the case in total and figure out what is the best way to proceed on on this. And I might approach it one way and the attorney down the street might approach it a completely different way doesn't mean that either one of us is right or wrong that's just our particular style and our particular approach and so again I would say when you're evaluating which lawyer to go with part of your evaluation needs to be is this person going to approach it from the way that I would prefer to have have it handled and you know talking about is this going to be the bulldog attorney mm. or or try to to reach an agreement well my personal style is that i'm going to do everything i can to reach an, an agreement i can be in a, a bulldog if i have to i'm and i love being in trial it's one of my favorite things to do in my in uh, my job yeah. is to go in front of a, a judge with a, a really good attorney on the other side and we go at it in court all day it, it is um, Fun for for lack of a better word, not everybody with it considers that's fun. Right. There have been days I've walked out of court. and I'm like, man, that was really fun. Yeah, because uh, that's what I'm trying to do, and and I'm lucky that I get to do that. But I also recognize that that going into trial, as much as I have fun with it, uh, that's not always what's best for the two people who are sitting there. That this matter to, matters to the most. Right. You know, they're going to go home and they're going to have to look their kids in the face and deal with the fallout of whatever the judge decided that day where I'm going to go home and play with my puppy yeah. and have and have fun and, and not completely blow it off because there is that emotional toll that it right. takes. But ultimately I'm going to reach a point where I'm going to move on to the next case and, and, you know, close this one up and then go on and, and do other things. And I'm not living with that outcome day after day after day.
0: Yeah. If not anything, I mean, <clears throat> I think the part of recognizing that at the end of all this, even though the name separation may happen right here at the divorce, this one's still always going to be mommy. This one's still always going to be daddy. And there's still going to always be that connection, even down past the point Mm -hmm. of what happened there in trial. Mm -hmm. Um, do you find when you're sitting across from that good attorney that you were talking about, like you enjoy when it's somebody who's of equal measure, Mm -hmm. I guess that it's kind of like a chess match between the two of you.
2: It
1: can be. I mean there's there've been times whenever I'm sitting in court thinking and I'm thinking like I can't believe that they're doing that. Would they just stop? Or you know, or whatever and but I but I also see exactly I know what they're doing and I know why they're doing it.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and it's my job is and I think you referenced this earlier, my job is to evaluate the case from the other side and say, okay, if I'm their attorney, here's what I'm going to say. And here's what I'm going to use and how I would present that case so that then I can be prepared to defend against it. Yeah. You
0: have to do a lot of preparation for multiple, multiple things that can come out. Right. Like I realize this might come out or this might come out, but I want to be prepared for a B or C whatever this lawyer is going to decide to go with here. And kind of that same deal. It's like leading out. I say chess, so I'm leading out. So okay, I see where we're going right. here. So this is yeah. this is my counter move to that. Mm-hmm. And then we kinda of walk through this. You referenced your puppy. I told you I was gonna talk about COVID. <laughs> I'm actually gonna leave COVID off the table, I think, today sure. and in that, you know, and just to kinda of bring everybody just quickly up to speed. We were talking about whether there's an uptick and divorces during COVID time and things like that and i think a lot of that kind of some of that is obviously probably an obvious question when when people who maybe don't get along real well spend a lot more time with each other or forced to spend more time with each other and then that kind of escalates some of those deals but Mm -hmm. in most of your social media platform that i've looked at probably every Third or fourth post is a picture of your puppy. So tell me about this this puppy that doesn't like snow. So
1: so that's Holly. I So I've always had miniature schnauzers. Mm-hmm. I grew up with them, and I love the breed. Um, I had two that were brothers that I had adopted from a rescue, and they both ended up passing away in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so um, the most recent one was in May that he passed away, and I knew that I was going to get a puppy and so, uh, in doing that, I really wanted to get a dog that I could bring to work with me. Mm. I love I was dogs. Fixing to ask that question. Yes. if this
0: dog <laughs> travels with you to work. She
1: does not always, but she she generally does. Um, she's still a puppy, so we're still learning. She's uh, almost six months old. Mm. And so, when I uh, when I got her, I was very intentional to try to find one that had the right temperament mm. and. Um, tried to train her as much as possible to encounter a lot of people and not bark like crazy because schnauzers are terriers and they tend to bark. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I've gotten very lucky. I don't know that I necessarily did anything to, to make it happen, but um, she's been come to the office with me several times and with, with, when clients are there and she'll greet them at the door. And um, I've had a couple of mediations where uh, because we're doing things by zoom now, my client and I are at the office appearing by zoom for the mediation and, and I'll bring her. And so my client can sit there and pet on her while they're Mm -hmm. mediating their case. And, and it seems to go well. So,
0: so we here at the store, we had uh, at one point, my nephew's dog would come up here all the time, Wrigley. And the first couple of years of being open Wrigley was more popular than probably anybody in our organization, you know, more so with kids, uh, people and, and, and Wrigley was a, uh, a golden doodle. You probably say that wrong. That's probably not the correct brand. I, I should know this cause I have a golden doodle, but, um, so Wrigley would come up here and it was that same deal. Wrigley was pretty well mannered, uh, would run up to somebody, let them pet him, follow him through, was good with kids, to, you know, temperament was very good, and we started becoming known as oh, is you know instead of people walking in, and they were here to get something. The kids were now coming in, and going, "Where's Wrigley at?" You know, they yeah. that's where they wanted to go. So I was going to ask if the dog makes appearances at the at the law firm there because it is. I don't care how you put it. I mean, it's disarming right? Like mm-hmm. people walk in and there's stress already. I can mm-hmm. imagine walking in and then here's this cute little dog that comes running up and you know, how can I, yeah. how can I be stressed when I see this cute little dog wanting to jump up and, you know, get a pet and, you know, let me hold it for a little bit mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, but do you feel that Holly also is an extension and a representation of you? Like it makes you more human with your clients?
1: I hope so. I mean, that's, I, I am, I have my life outside of the law firm, and yeah. she's a big part of that. And um, I don't have children, so she's almost like my child, oh, I'm not quite the same. but For 15 uh, <laughs> years, we
0: had lots of little yeah. four-legged children running around yeah. our house. I get it.
1: So um, she's she was uh, the best thing to come out of 2020 for me. I got her in September, so um, she brings a lot of joy to me personally. And so I, I want her to be um, – She's not a formal therapy dog, and I don't claim that at all, but but to have that effect on clients, that if you're coming into the office and you're going through a stressful time, that she can be there to kind of help. And I realize that not everybody is a dog person, and so, like I said, she's not necessarily there every single day, and if I know I have someone coming in, I may say, hey, are you okay with, with Holly being here, and just make sure. Because, yeah. uh, you know, not everybody loves dogs the way that I do. Yeah. But, um, but yeah.
0: We learned that lesson, so, too. We yeah. we had... Uh, so, you know, the good thing about Wrigley and Wrigley is hypoallergenic. So, it mm-hmm. helps if you have anybody that has, you know, around the area or whatever that, that had a uh, uh, an allergy mm-hmm. effect that might happen to pet dander or things like that. But then it turned into other stuff for us. Wrigley didn't go away because just wasn't working for us anymore or whatever Wrigley went away because then all of a sudden somebody bring a cat and somebody was bringing yeah. them pet this and you know, all this other thing. And we, we started turning into more of like a zoo than we turned into to more of, you know, this the is business. our, yeah, we are well, still a business. kind of our yeah. mascot, you know, I really, you know, I really felt at one point that Wrigley was our mascot kind of for mm-hmm. our store and, and, but granted, you know, looking through, through our organization uh, you know, two of us in in the ownership are dog people and well, the other one, eh, you know, not so much. So uh, it's also kind of one of those deals where we, we wanted it to be different, right? Like how many mm-hmm. places do you walk in and you see this dog, you know, right. and, and a dog that is well-mannered and temperamental that it can, you know, make a connection with <laughs> your customer right as they walk in. That being said, I'm talking about the night everybody's a dog. I've also watched people go, ah, you know, yeah. and like the dog's on a full run to them just because it's excited to see them. But maybe they've had a bad experience. Right. But we've had multiple social media posts when Wrigley was around that, you know, again, come see Wrigley. I mean, it was almost that, you know, for a while there he was some of our marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that in your social media pages. I noticed him and, you know, post with you or at the office or whatever. And so, and I'm assuming like the people who are around your office probably enjoy having him around as well too. So him? Her. 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 That's okay. Lol, it's Holly. So (laughs) let's let's follow the name here. So, um, but I also find that to be something that is an un said extension of yourself Mm -hmm. like you know somebody just walks in and sees this little dog running around there or whatever and they know it's your dog well right out of the gate you know oh you're a dog person Mm -hmm. and you have this little dog and you know so i just i find that to be i find that to be a disarming deal in a lot of situations That an animal, you know, something as simple as a little Mm four-legged dog can be the thing that can, like you said, alleviate stress, maybe even refocus somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, that, again, they're coming in there for probably one of the worst times in their life. Uh, But, you know, again, while we're going through this... This is also who I am. Right. You know, I'm not just, you know, sitting over here telling you that, you know, I'm Courtney Allen, the lawyer. I'm also Courtney Allen, the the dog mom, right. you know, so and yeah, it's got sweaters and all these other <laughs> things that I like to put on her and, you know, make her cute and do all that stuff. And so um, but it is like having a little kid, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so but again, I think that that is seeing that in interjected into what you're doing through your law firm and everything else is just another way of softening your image, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, because again, you may not necessarily carry that softened image with just the, the job <laughs> yeah. that you're doing, you know, and the career that you've chosen to, to walk. So
1: it's funny. I was um, on vacation one time with my sister and I had to deal with something from the office and she looked at me and she was just like, Oh, that, that's Courtney, the lawyer. Yeah. And I, I didn't even realize I had gone into lawyer mode, but apparently I had. So, yeah. um, so yeah, it, the, that can get very separated and to, to kind of bring it back together and, and recognize that, yeah, you know, I'm a human being that has a dog and I love to travel and I have, you know, many aspects of my personality. Um, not just my job.
0: Yeah. Tied in, tied in and associated here with your little four legged child. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing I find is, is like when you're really stressed or something like that, or you're not having a good day and that dog comes running up to oh, you, yeah. it's kind of hard to like, hang on to all that stuff while mm-hmm. you're petting them. You know, it just kind of draws all your attention. You're in that moment right. right there. So I can also understand how your clients could also gather that same kind of experience in that. Yeah. I'm in this moment, but look at this little dog, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so let's talk about the last piece. And this was the part that I kind of told you we'd kind of wrap up with here is there are a lot of choices. There are, there are a lot of places that people can go for family lawyers here. Now we didn't kind of talk about you do, you don't just service just the Bryan College station area. You go out as well too. You're about out to.
1: So I, I, primarily handle Brazos County, Robertson County, Grimes County and Burleson County. Okay. Um, I, can't, I can go anywhere in the state of Texas. I'm licensed to practice law in the state of Texas. My personal philosophy is that uh, it's better to hire an attorney that is familiar with the court that you're going to be in Yes. because, I, you know, in the courts that I go into, I know those judges uh, fairly well. I've yeah, been you're here building relationships. 13 years. Yeah. And um, and it's, you know, I have an idea of, oh, this, this judge is really going to, get focused on this issue right. or this judge is going to have a problem with this issue. And part of that comes with experience and going into those courts many times over many years right. and learning the things that their particular hot button issues that they get focused on, that may be something that has come up in your case. And mm. so we need to know, is that going to hurt you or is that going to help you? Right. Um, and so, like I said, I could go anywhere in the state. I choose to stay here locally mm-hmm. because I feel like that is what is best for my clients. Yeah. And
0: this is home. True. I mean, and for you now right. this is home, Absolutely. probably permanent Definitely. home forever. Yeah. So and again, it's that reputation that you're also trying to build and protect in your mm-hmm. home as well too. So we refer to it here as our backyard, right? Yep. Like this is this is what we want to ensure our focus is. And while we'd love the idea to be able to help people further out, ultimately our goal is always in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And so so I'm in the I'm in the market at this point. Now all of a sudden I found myself that I you know I need to look for that family lawyer for whatever it is, for a divorce, for adoption, or whatever. And kind of that final question I told you I kind of bring back around to is mm-hmm. is so there's the Courtney Allen that you know people are getting to know here and they see on social media and Google will pop up your law firm and everything else. But why? Why am I coming to you? What is what is it that when I come to you, obviously coming to you being an open book and telling you everything and, and you know, understanding after having a conversation here that, that you know, you really want to align with that client as much as possible. Why am I going to look at Courtney Allen as my option to go to?
2: Sure.
1: So uh, 20 years experience in family law. I have 13 years here, experience here in Brazos County, um, I am going to shoot straight with you. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear just because I think that's going to get you to, to hire me as your attorney. Sure. I'm not going to promise things to you that I don't really think that we're going to get. Right. Um, if, if anything, I'm probably more conservative in, you know, if you're asking me, and I'll have clients ask me often, like, okay, what are the chances of this happening? And I'm probably going to be pretty conservative in telling you that I think that we're going to get that because I don't, I don't want to give you too overconfidence in that, oh, yeah, you're just going to walk in there and you're, the judge is going to give you everything that you want. Right. Um, I want you to evaluate, what, and, and I'm going to be evaluating, is this really the most efficient use of your time and your money? Um, Any kind of legal action, especially in family law, can get extremely expensive. And so I, as much as I would be happy to take your $10,000 or whatever number that comes to, I also want to go home and sleep at night and know that I've done that with a good conscience and I haven't just taken your money from you. And so I'm going to evaluate your case and decide, is this worth going to court over? Mm -hmm. You know, obviously if it's a divorce, you you may not have any choice over that, but if it's a, well, you know, my kid's telling me that they want to come live with me now. Okay. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's kind of work through that and figure out is, is that really what they want or is that that's because they love you and they want to tell you what they think you want to hear?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And so, you know, I'll evaluate things from that angle if someone comes to me and they say, you know, I really want to get an agreement, then I will do everything I can to help you get an agreement. I want you to get an agreement because I believe that if parties are able to get an agreement on the legal action, let's call it, say the divorce uh, or whatever, that initial action that they're having to deal with each other in the legal context, if we can get an agreement on that, my hope and my belief is that that makes it easier for them to work together and agree in the long run. Mm if we've spent 6 months going in and out of the courtroom throwing all the mud we can at each other it's going to take years for them if they ever are able to get back to a point where they can work together and and i really want to see co-parents who can call each other up and say hey something came up for me can you get this or you know i noticed that little johnny's talking about xyz can you help me figure out what's going on that you know we may not be married anymore right and so we're not husband and wife or husband and husband or wife and wife these days um but we are co-parents and so we can look at each other as another adult that we both love this child or children and so we are working as hard as we can to do what is best for these children, and we're doing that together. And so that is what I would love to see for all of my cases, and so I try very hard not to create issues as attorneys because I think sometimes we can unintentionally. Sometimes it's I just have to, I'm doing my job, mm-hmm. and I have to tell you the law doesn't allow for what you want, but there are times as attorneys that you know we can, whether it's intentional or unintentionally, get in there and, And cause things to blow up. And so I try very hard not to have that happen.
0: Well, and it's important not to necessarily align yourself with a lawyer that's going to tell you everything you want to hear. Because you need somebody who's impartial in that situation, Mm -hmm. who steps away from the emotion and the explosiveness that's typically involved in those Mm -hmm. kind of cases to be able to be a voice or reason to guide you. Right. And so like you said earlier that may not always be hearing what you want to hear and it may be hearing some of the hard things that you you know didn't even anticipate hearing mm-hmm. in those particular whether it's consultation or if they're on retainer and they you're they're using your services. I heard you say one thing that I want to work back around to, and it was earlier on in the podcast, and, and you and I met as a part of the uh, small business and entrepreneur page uh, where I kind of offered the the ability for people to come on here and talk about their business mm-hmm. and promote their business. But you said something that has come up multiple times here at the table and I wanted to touch back on it because I'm pretty sure it's probably important in your life and I'm just curious how that's carried on for you. You used the word earlier, you said mentoring, that some, you know you had somebody in your life as a part of your professional career that was a great mentor that helped guide you and help work you through this process of understanding best ways to handle things and things like that. I view the, the group as a good spot for mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said that that group is more of like almost like an open source group where it's it's small businesses and and entrepreneurs that are yeah they're 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 talking and promoting their business and telling everybody what it is that they do but it's also one of those pages where hey I need something I'm looking for something does anybody have any specialties in in this or this has come up and I've never dealt with it before interesting part uh, the, just the thing that's popping into my head is. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a small business. I'm going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And wh- how does that affect my small business right. and you know and what do I have to look forward to and how you know how can I protect myself as a part of that or whatever? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that mentoring piece that that really helped kind of mold you in the front side mm-hmm. probably even sparked the entrepreneurial spirit to move away from it to create your own your own opportunities for yourself be your own boss, so to say. Um, how do you see that you, do you push that for? Do you have other people that you mentor now? Do you view mentoring as a part of that client lawyer relationship where you're mentoring them through not just what they're going through? I mean, that's kind of a guide, right? But the mentoring piece of, like you had said earlier, I hope that that to obtain a a view of the future for that person that is sunny and bright and positive and reinforcing, as opposed to just, it's a complete, you know, it's a complete show that is, that is just overwhelmed their life and become what may feel like their identity. So where do you feel mentoring is going to come in for you as an entrepreneur?
1: So there's, I think there's a couple of aspects to that. Uh, When it comes to my clients, uh, a lot of times we forget that on my, on my bar license, it says attorney and counselor at law, mm. and so there is an aspect of counseling, I'm not per, you know, not claiming that official title <laughs> right. as far as any kind of mental health services, right. but there is an aspect of, and it, it is very much a big part of my practice in talking to my clients about you know things that come up that maybe it may not be legal questions strictly speaking right. but it's dealing with the kids dealing with the other side and so there's some discussion of okay well what if you did this how about if you asked them this way or if you approached it from this direction would you know maybe that might get a better result and hmm. part of that is 20 years of experience i've seen all different ways that people deal with each other in these situations. And so maybe I can give you some ideas of ways that you might be able to do that better. Right. I'm certainly not the end all be all. And I, that's not the primary part of what I do, but it does come into play in my practice. Mm-hmm. So, That's definitely part of it. Um, On kind of the other half of that that I see is working with other attorneys, um, and not necessarily in like a formal capacity where I have a formal mentor-mentee relationship, Mm -hmm. but I've always been happy to work with younger, less experienced attorneys. I've yeah, I don't like to think that I've been doing this for twenty years that I'm that old, but I am. That you're becoming the Yoda so, yes. in the group here. Yeah, yeah. I'm not the I'm not the baby <laughs> attorney anymore. I'm the one with uh, the gray hairs that are hidden by lots of dye right now. But <laughs> um and so, uh, but I'm always happy to work with younger attorneys to answer questions. And the funny thing is, uh the business aspect of it. So there's. A lot of attorneys that love practicing law, but they hate the business aspect mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. And they, and so they are perfectly happy turning that over to somebody else, uh, some kind of a manager, something to run all that for them. I enjoy it mostly, not all <laughs> of it, but but um, I come from a line of entrepreneurs. My sister owns a business. My brother owns, owns a business. My parents have owned multiple businesses in the course of their life. And so um, I never thought I would own a business. That wasn't a goal, but, um, after I went out on my own and obviously that is part of it. And so I very much enjoy discussing business ideas and, you know, how to manage things. And there's certain things that are unique to a law firm, but, um, but it is a business. I mean, the reality is it's a business. It just is a business that provides a very particular service. Right. And so, um, so there's kind of, I guess there's three. I started out thinking there was two aspects to that, but I guess there's actually three aspects to yeah, that. Yeah,
0: because I mean you're like we had said earlier, it's not like you're, you know, come in today for this. You know, right. you're not you're not promoting up a promotional products so to say like some of the other entrepreneurs that start businesses or whatever you're a service-based oriented deal that really in that service is very narrow focused as to what it is Mm -hmm. there's specific clients that you're going to have that you're going to be able to meet the needs on and then there's others that you're probably going to go i'm not that one but i know of someone that i can reference you to Uh, and working within those groups as well too and exchanging information again all that being a part of the mentorship of of knowledge just you know sharing it back and forth i've talked to many of people who come in and and you know sam has these sit down coffee meetings with people and things like that and they walk away and some of them are like man there's some really good ideas that he came away with and then there's some that walk away and go they're wondering really good ideas but there were a few things that he said that sparked some thought process Mm -hmm. from me so it's not even necessarily in the idea of being a mentor that you have to be in the field of right. what it is that you do. But if you've run a business for 20 years and you're paying taxes and you know all the other little stuff that mm-hmm. goes along with the, the behind the ugly stuff that right. you have to do running a business – and you understand that and you have a, a a grasp for that. you can essentially be the mentor to somebody who's not necessarily looking to be the lawyer to start up a right. business, just hey, starting a business has these mm-hmm. pitfalls they have these benefits you know and and most people will find like the ones that get into small business to be their own boss find that that's not really the driving force behind it that there is more of a creative a creative freedom behind mm-hmm. starting their own business. And then that creative freedom really modifies their business. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you went in probably when you opened the doors thinking this is what it's all going to look like. And I'm sure that over 13 years of running your own business there, the mo- not necessarily what's behind the model, mm-hmm. like what you do under the law, but the model itself has yeah. probably changed a lot in 13 years as well, too. Maybe through input and guidance from other people maybe just through experience of doing Mm -hmm. it long enough and you go, man, this works a lot better than this. I mean, we've learned a lot of stuff where we've tucked money into things that didn't have payouts when it came to advertising and marketing. We've learned that there's better ways to handle things, resolutions to things that are Mm -hmm. are much more beneficial to the business when we handle them a certain way. But all of those places kind of laying their head at, being the entrepreneur that also does the give back process of mentoring other people and trying to share that information. That's why I like the, the, I mean, it really is one of the reasons why I love the page because the page becomes an Avenue where anybody feels like they can ask the question without the fear of the judgment that may come behind it. Like I'm not running my business really well. Can somebody help me with this? And again, same deal. You're in a, you're in a field that you may end up being a resource for somebody in that group. Mm Uh, not necessarily because they want you to be that resource, right. but just necessarily from the idea of like here's some things to mm-hmm. consider when you're setting up your business, when you're dissolving right. your business, whatever that looks like. So, uh, so let's run through how people can get a hold of you. So Courtney mm-hmm. Allen Family Law, uh, they can reach you. Your website is courtneyallenlaw.com. Yes. All right. Uh, address if they're coming physically to you, you want to sit down. Now, you would prefer, obviously, they call out ahead of time and schedule <laughs> right. something, not just show up at the yeah. door or whatever, because I know that that's not always going to correspond to what your schedule is, kind of right. like being here right. today. Uh so they can reach you at nine seven nine two zero nine zero seven nine one Yes, uh, and set up an initial consultation or come to your office mm-hmm. which is at two hundred South Main. Yes. And that is suite two oh four. Uh-huh. Awesome. So anything else that I've left out out of that that uh, I mean you got for your Facebook yeah. page. Yeah, you, Facebook you, you page. Know, so. We
1: try to I try to direct people to Facebook for um like uh, Last-minute announcements or you know, phones went out, you can't reach us by phone, right. you know we're getting that Closed for the day, like or whatever,
0: that. yeah. So. And plus you've got videos on there as well, mm-hmm. too, where you've gone in and just kind of put out some free little you know, legal advice yeah. and things like that. Or maybe people who are in that particular situation where they can use that as a resource or an avenue to kind of look at some of the stuff, whether they're knee-deep in the middle of it or exactly. considering going into it. Uh, that it's things that I think are important, or even even one step out past that, which is. Maybe it's not even me that's going through it. Maybe right. I'm watching it, but I know or have a friend like, hey, you should probably get on here and look yeah. at this. So.
1: Yeah, I try to put out... Um, and every every situation is different, so I wouldn't say that anything in those videos is intended to be legal advice right. to a particular situation because, uh, you know, there's so many ins and outs to every everybody's individual case. So you do need to sit down and talk to an attorney about your case. Right. But I do try to um, do little videos every now and then with... Things things that have come up, things that I feel like it's important for people to know. If you're, you know, at the beginning of the process trying to figure out, all right, we've had the discussion, you know, the holidays have passed and a lot of people will file up for divorce after the holidays. Right. They get through Christmas and then, okay, now, now it's time. And so I, I try to put out, all right, here's the, some things to keep in mind, what you might want to consider, what you're, you know, who you should be looking at as far as, you know, where you should find an attorney and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah.
0: or they can just go on there and see Holly trying to run through the snow for the first time. <laughs> right. and, you know,
1: trying to figure out how that was. Yeah.
0: Figuring yeah. out that your dog doesn't like the snow and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm grateful that you showed up today and you came in to talk about your sure. business and, and I'm appreciative that you're here in the Brazos Valley, that this is your roots. This is really kind of what brought you back and where mm-hmm. you came to. And, and obviously you're, you're an entrepreneur in a business that's needed in town. And so, for us, we want to continue to see you grow. Wish you nothing but the best. Although that kind of sounds like <laughs> I'm wishing, but best and could be adoptions and everything right, else. Right. It's not just necessarily in that yeah. avenue. But, you know, and again, if you're in the market, if you're needing services, you're looking at someone who can assist you, walk you, guide you through some of the processes that we've kind of talked about today. Obviously, you can sit over here and you got Courtney with 20 years of experience. Uh, and again, relationships that you've built in town, people that you know, not just with other lawyers, but judges and things like that, that can yeah. really be of value to people. But encouraging people also to come have that consultation with you and sit down, find out if you're a good match for what it is that they're asking of you or mm-hmm. can you do these things. And then just seeing if that's something that's going to end up eventually turning into a lawyer client and, and you guys move through and you walk them through this process that. Right. Nobody really wants to go through, I guess, in certain cases, but may find themselves there. And so that expertise that you carry in there carries a lot of weight and value to people who are looking for that. So I appreciate you coming out today. Wish you nothing but the best. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you guys coming and joining us for another podcast. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to talking to you guys in the future. Have a great day.